Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Robert. Why yes, I'm back from the dead. Indeed, so he was our hero on the floor at LVO, I was the guy in the chair providing support, so this episode's going to be wall-to-wall, our LVO recap is what I was trying to say, and a lot to talk about from various perspectives, so let's do this in chronological order, let's get right started with the uh, new model reviews, uh, reveals that from Games Workshop, uh, they were, I guess, remote this time again, and... um, some new models to look forward to. Yep. So I'm going to start on the Snorefest that is for me, and that is the Desolation Squad and the Brutalis Dreadnought for Marines. It is quite literally here's your Primaris Devastator Squad, and then here's your Totally Not a Wolf and Dreadnought. <laughs> yeah. So stat wise, it is basically Murder Fang. <laughs> mm-hmm. it really, when you look at the stat line, I'm going like, I've seen this before. Where did I see this? I'm like, oh, okay. So if you're a Space Wolf fan, um, you're not special anymore. Sorry. Yeah, it's it's exciting to see that they kind of took the mail like the melee exclusive stuff out of Space Wolves, where Murder Fang and Bjorn were venerable dreadnoughts, and now it's just a oh, here's a Redemptor dreadnought chassis that can punch things like real real good yeah so interesting we'll see how it all uh, feeling and we're going to get into the new meta the arcs of omen what to expect uh, in a future episode uh right now we're going to stay focused on lvo but i have a feeling you know this will definitely make space in a iron hands list and Mm -hmm. uh, um you know one of the few things that's not going to stay in devastator mode but um yeah i'm like okay um yeah and I'm, I'm looking at the Desolation Squad, and all I can really think of is, okay, you've got a gun with guns on top of it, and it's strapped to your backpack. What happens if you land in a burning pile of fi- like a burning pile of stuff? You're going to light <laughs> up like a firework. Uh, like, they're they're cool looking Primaris models because of the guns. They're really different, and they stand out against it. I, there's two of them like one or two of them that are posed where they're actually pointing the gun up with both hands and they have all of the rocket ports open and it demonstrates that you have either a a version with the two with four barrels of smaller missiles or two barrels of bigger missiles on top of a little like frag launcher thing for every single one of them kind of showcasing the profile because there is another one that has a single massive rocket so i don't know if you'll be able to mix and match in the squad per se yeah i'm not sure either we've seen some leaked stat uh data sheets and we talked about in previous episodes not sure which data sheet goes with which model at this point we'll figure it out as you know time progresses yeah and then just touching on the brutalis dreadnought again it's a redemptor sure. dreadnought chassis it's 13 wounds and eric w- might call me a madman because on Not monday bad. after <laughs> after coming back from lvo on monday i actually got to have my second arcs game into iron hand successors and do you know how much fun it was to pick up two and a half redemptor dreadnoughts in a single shooting phase that man is mad <laughs> yeah it, it it was the first game that I actually tried to strategic reserve my knights and I just got too cautious because I was worried about him running forward and trying to shoot me so I Mm -hmm. had my desecrator and all my brigands off the table I could have kept Ben on the table he could have looked at a redemptor dreadnought funny and just went you (laughs) 
and just pasted it. All I'm picturing is the 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 robot from uh, RoboCop there. He says, "Stop!" <laughs> it just starts opening fire. <laughs> it, it's it, it's not even a stop. It's it's literally a point click. Oh, I was supposed to tell him to stop. <laughs> well, I I I can only be hit on hit on force now. Bye bye. <laughs> Caramba. No, it's this real quick. I, I I may have missed it in the reveal. How are these rules going to be introduced? Um, I well, the Desolation Squad and the Brutalis Dreadnought are coming in what looks like a box set. So from the picture that they were talking about, you get the Brutalis Dreadnought, ten desolate a, a unit of ten Desolators, or a, two units of five, whichever one along with a unit of heavy intercessors and then the all-in-one lieutenant kit. <laughs> mm, yes, I forgot about that. Yep. Now you can have a lieutenant with whatever the heck you want, or you can try to get bash him into a captain. And then I believe there's another box set coming with Vashtor and some Chaos Space Marines. Yes. Fighting. Yes, that is actually the box I'm more excited for because of the fact that the only model I want is Vashtor. That's the only thing I want in that entire box. <laughs> I don't care about the Terminators. I don't care about the Oblitz. I don't care about the Cultists or the Venom Crawler, even though it's amazing. Or the Intercessors or the, or the new Azrael, who his Watcher on the Dark stands on his base now. So you don't have to have a little tool that follows him around all game. Hmm. Um, but no, I just want the Vashtor. The Vashtor is the coolest model ever in that box. We may have to work something out on a deal there, but yeah, I'd look because the rest of the stuff is really good. And um, so, yeah, but it's an interesting box set. So I'm going like, Oh, okay. But the biggest thing I did not hear, and I'm just confirming this, maybe I missed it on the audio. There is not a new space Marine codex coming up again. You probably know more than I did because I wasn't at the preview Okay. because I got there. I then had, well, I then went and got dinner with my girlfriend. It was the best bowl of ramen that we've ever had. And we then went to bed like responsible people. Oh, smart. <laughs> We're going to touch on that a little bit later, by the way, because that's something I do want to bring up. Um, what, bo- sleeping? Yes, at LVO. It's a crazy thought, but that's what I'm bringing up. <laughs> okay, so that's, yeah, I've, I missed part of the audio in the beginning. So, but I was, and that's that, that first five six minutes so i just want to make sure did i miss because something but yeah as far as i could tell there and nothing in writing that there is a new chaos space ring codex coming out so it's gonna be a space ring codex coming out so I yeah guess the box I'm, that's it <laughs> yeah because i know this box set with dark angels is the bringing back of a primaris character because thinking of Back when they did the Space Marine supplements before Ninth Edition, that's when they brought each of the Primaris characters, like um, Torgaradon, Shrike, the the special Forge Master uh-huh. for Iron Hand. Um, did, I, I can't remember if any, if they got anything for White Scars. Oh, the the Primaris Corsorocon or something like that. Yeah, on foot, which is hilarious. <laughs> the rest yeah. of the box sets all bikes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oops. And then for Salamanders, it was Adrak. Basically, all of the lesser characters. And I know Dark Angels also had another one somewhere. But now we're actually starting to get into. Well, Dark Angels is the first Legion, right? Or no, they're not the first Legion. That was Sons of. I might be getting my Legions mixed up. Anyway, <laughs> as we go through 
each of the Loyalist Legion. What's to say we don't get a Dante going through the prime, going through the Rubicon, oh. or or Lamartes, or what? Like, basically, pick a very important character that is any Space Marines faction. Maybe Tenth Edition will be that wave of here's another Primaris Space Wolf character. Here's Dante. Here's um pa 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 pa. A primary Samael on a new bike, like kind of, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that all pans out, and as we get closer to the rumored, you know, introduction of 10th edition, we'll get into you know hopes and wishes for the future. Uh, but it's yeah, when I start looking at that, it's just something coming out. Also, when you look at the boarding action rules, they say you know they give um, it's a specific rule that's the way it's worded, and everybody's kind of jumping all over it because rather than saying you, you cannot include, basically including Gilliman, it just says you uh, Imperial Primarch models. Like, mm-hmm. well, they're, why'd you use generic language? Is there another Imperial Primarch model coming out? So, yeah, I remember several episodes ago when we talked about the the cycle of the 40k edition the edition always begins on a primark equivalent reveal which i believe if we were talking about the end of seventh edition was magnus was the end of seventh then the start of eighth edition was mortarian or were magnus and mortarian put revealed together no they're definitely separate there but they were close together so i think that that timeline fits and then at the and then Gilliman was revealed at the start of seventh edition. I, I don't know anything about seventh edition, but that sounds about right. Yeah, because that was the but, whole idea with Gathering Storm was the mm-hmm. campaign pack similar to Arcs of Omen that got you started for the new edition. So yeah, and then you look at ninth edition. The Primark equivalent reveal was the Silent King, and now at the end of ninth edition, we're getting Angron. So there's a good bet that it's either going to be Fulgrim or um, the Lion at the start of 10th edition. Yeah. I still think there's an outside chance for Neben um, Russ, but I, I'm leaning more towards the Lion at this point. Yeah, because the Dark Angels box set and everything else. And then they pull the hood from our eyes, and haha, it's Cypher. Um, <laughs> Primary <laughs> cipher, yes, or um, the ah, uh, who was the big scary dark Eldar character on the boat? Vect. Ah, yes, <laughs> new Vect. He now rides a Tantalus. <laughs> well, all right, I'm going to go and go from the deep end. They did change some of Vect's fluff and or his lore, so we may get the return of Vect on his floating. Well, at the time, it was a basically a Ravager that was redesigned for him to sit on. And um, th- in the lore, he has now elevated himself as the Living Muse. So is that basically the Jukari equivalent of the Avatar of Cain type character? Kind of like a manifestation type thing? I don't know. We'll have to be curious to see how that all plays out. Yep, we'll see. We'll have to see how the lore pans out, because right now it's turning into a <laughs> Angron's crazy. He's punching stuff and Vashtor is going in there and taking all the spoils. Yeah. Yeah. The storyline is pretty interesting there. Anyway, back to the reveals. Uh, there were a few other items and um, yeah, we're a 40 K podcast, but just, just a quick note. Uh, the age of Sigmar, the new Seraphon. Holy cow. Those stole the show. Those models are yeah. amazing. 
Yeah, the new slan does actually look pretty freaking cool, especially yeah. if you like frogs. Yeah, no, well, I hate frogs, but I, I absolutely they're. Ugh. But that model is amazing. I'm like, oh, and I used mm-hmm. to play Seraphon. I had the ugly metal one. And so now I'm like, I'm kicking myself. I'm like, why don't I still play them? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm actually holding the old fine cast one where he's just slumped in his chair because I have it as a standing coach for a random Blood Bowl team that I have. Nice. So it's a, oh, it's a slam. That's cool. And I think it, they can all, you have different options for which kind of slam you want on there. So you can holding up his left hand. Or his right. <laughs> and the, the skink attendants, there's like several, so you can mix and match and how you want his people hang. Yeah. Servants helping him out. But even the basic Sauruses, I was like, whoa. Because um, I had the original ones that came out when the uh, Bretonian box set came out. And then they came out with the second founding. And I was like, eh, they're not that great. But then all the new bigger dinosaurs were a lot cooler. So I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. And then I just sold the army. These guys, I'm like, oh, these might have to be my new Slith because those things are in range rotation right now. Those things are so cool looking. Yeah. the I've kind of grown out of Age of Sigmar a little bit because it's uh, right now my my health for 40k is actually coming back into a full cycle because I'm not sitting here playing my like 200th game of Custodes. <laughs> And Knights was definitely a, a good change of pace, and I feel comfortable playing them. But uh, the only other game system that I like the models of, that them RPDs, though, <laughs> for Kill Team. Like, these guys are legitimate Robocop. And it, this is actually cool. I was really shocked they came out with them. I know all the signs were there. This was not a big surprise. But you got to remember, Games Workshop is all about the IP and copywriting it. And they stole a lot from Judge Dredd in the original comic books. So they come out with these guys, which are basically the Judge Dredd <laughs> miniatures. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a little close to the bone there, dude. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and looking at the the guys that come in the box set with them, the the are they legitimate Dark Eldar or are they Corsairs like you guessed they were? I can't remember. I was completely wrong. So this is a very interesting development. They are full-blown Drakari warriors. What you're getting is an upgrade sprue along with the classic warrior kit. Now, the question is, when Orcs got Commandos, got an upgrade sprue, and the Pathfinders from Tau got an upgrade sprue, none of that translated over to the data slate in 40k. However, the Harlequin, uh, excuse me, the uh, Corsairs, when they came out, Everything that's in that box somehow has a K. Mm-hmm. So th- there are three or four key things that are new. Are they going to be just Kill Team exclusive or are they going to translate over? Because you got to remember, as cool as that Drakari Codex was, one of the biggest disappointments was not a single new unit. Mm-hmm. And so little things like, what in God's name is an Arch Cerebite? Never have we seen that. There's a Dracon, mm-hmm. which is sort of the lieutenant, if the Archon's the captain. So who's this guy? I don't know. Where does he fall in the, in the pecking order? Hey. Yeah, and looking at the minis, you have an option for a, a full close combat Cabal Warrior. You have Obviously, you have them poison pistols and splinter rifles. And then you got the guy with the freaking bird. Like, does the bird actually do something? 
So the bird in the Corsair's kit uh, gives you ignore light cover, which is okay, interesting. Um, the Crimson Duelist, yeah, that would be the close combat option. You're right, there is no close combat option for Cabal. So that could be very interesting to see. There's the guy mm -hmm. that has, there's a picture of him. He's got like a giant syringe rifle looking thing. Yeah, like a toxin injector that you would see on a homunculus. Right. So the question is, is he there to heal or is he there to poison people? Because th that's actually one rule that came from Votan. I'm pretty sure, Like, I mean, it was also Abaddon with the Mark of Zine, where the first failed save you ignore. That's a really neat rule that I think they should try to incorporate into more units because of the fact that it's it can make or break things sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, Corsairs have it and the upgraded racks, the Moxalites, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, have that same rule. And it's pretty neat. And I agree with you, but it's hmm, are we adding that? So then the question comes, okay, if all these new rules come out for warriors, does that mean we can make these rules for Trueborn as well? Because they're that elite version mm -hmm. of warriors. So there's all these questions, but I mean the, at the end of the day, we don't know if how much will translate to 40k it, it may all be for not it's all for show yeah there's the other guy with throwing the grenades that guy's pretty cool looking there's some really cool head swaps uh mm -hmm. if you really want to get creative the, the war cry stuff and the uh, underworld stuff uh, a lot of conversion bait for jacari so it was kind of neat but i don't know to be how excited to be about this yet yeah like for me it's definitely the arbities are a really cool looking set of models because walking away with, from LVO with the, um, whatever the box set name was the, that had the crew to the Imperial Navy because <laughs> of the high roller package. Uh, Gallo um, Dark, I think it was. Something like that, yeah. Oh, Into the Dark. Um, the models look cool, but I only want the terrain. <laughs> mm. Well, don't, don't look at this week's previews then. <laughs> I know, it's more, oh, hey, boarding actions, kill teams, and walls, and yeah. more walls yeah some of that stuff they're separating <laughs> finally so you can buy them separately and that's that's the, probably the one criticism everybody has about that system is that you have to buy their terrain set because the missions are specific to their wall setups I'm like okay for and also <clears throat> casterkin <laughs> yeah, that too but the other you know everyone's been complaining how come 40k we don't have set terrain maps like in video games and then they do one they're like well, we're not buying that. Like, make up your mind, please. <laughs> yeah, I know for me, it's definitely just that way I have versatile terrain because the one terrain set I do have, it's a whole bunch of buildings and player place terrain. It doesn't make it super easy to use. Hmm. So. so that was your reveal. So yeah, a little underwhelming, um, which I'll be honest with you, I'm a little happy about because if they've thrown out too much, that means, I don't know, I'm still... Firmly trend, I'm firmly convinced that 10th edition will be here June 1st. Um, so that means we really only have four more months left of Arcs of Omen. And I didn't want any more big changes. I already feel bad enough for World Leaders players. You know, the, that codex looks like a ton of fun. We'll talk about it more next week. But uh, it just feel bad that hey, you got a new book and... Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's going to be invalidated pretty quick. <laughs> well, maybe not so much invalidated, because I know this was an issue from 8th edition into 9th when Sisters got their 
brand new 8th edition codex and then 9th edition and they still got to use all the rules and it was great but overall it was just a like a hey um yeah <laughs> you just got a new book so you get to wait for a while yeah but it's it's nowhere near as bad as the playing with a third edition book in fifth edition so thank you appreciate you rubbing that in one more time <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it's what I got to do as a custodian. I got to make I get the the dirt out of it. <laughs> so bad. <sighs> anyway, let's talk about the action on the table. So you were actually in attendance. I was watching from afar. Again, uh, classifying that is online training when I was at the, at the office. So um, tell me a bit Ooh, about your experience. Mm. <laughs> so I I went three and three in the actual champs. I could have gone four and two, but I got a little jumpy on on the trigger into my salamander's opponent in round six i i jumped out two turns too early so i gave his eradicators um two turns worth of tactical doctrine to shoot my bikes oops yeah well that's because i had planned on going okay i'm going to because we were on the scouring so i legitimately sat there going i'm not gonna cross over halfway the table i'm just gonna stand on these three objectives and i had set myself up to score a minimum of 36 on primary, given that he didn't kill me off of the center objective on turn. But yeah, no, I got trigger happy. I jumped out and his eradicators in a single round of shooting killed exactly three bikes out of my fight mate to the wound. All I can think of is that scene from Empire Strikes Back. Admiral also thought a element of surprise was essential. He's clumsy as he is foolish. <laughs> That's a trap. <laughs> yeah, that too. That's what yeah, I, I had. Yeah, I had Admiral Akbar <laughs> yell in my ear. Um, <clears throat> the, but no, all of my opponents were wonderful people. My, my round three opponent, he scared me like a lot because that was. Thousand Suns and Flamers. So yeah. I, I ran, I ran into the actual boogie of just, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm gonna die. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> but I, I ended up squeaking that one out by three points. And overall, the event was was fun. It's definitely the end cap event of the season currently, and I firmly believe that's going to continue that trend because it's very much you had almost a thousand players. Why? Why would we suddenly change? Yeah, so interesting point. So let's talk about a couple of things. So first of all, did they announce LVO 2024 yet? No, they have not. Okay. So I believe this was the last year at this venue. and Yeah, the last year at the Rio. And the Rio... I, I never went to one of the events at the Rio, so I, I don't want to speak out of turn. But I haven't heard a lot of positive things from event goers, especially those who went to Bally's, uh, which I did attend a couple of LVOs at Bally's. So that was apparently a much better venue. But um, at least from a, a fan standpoint, um, so maybe they're still trying to nail down the new venue. Maybe they're going to look at a new date, maybe early December, so to avoid some of this uh do we switch to the new mission system where we don't we that comes out on early january um i don't know so those are some questions that are still still up in the air yeah it was definitely something that because both of my lvos that i've gone to have been at the rio i'm i honestly was just okay the hotel is a little older in some places like their their bathrooms are circa 1960 and the the inconvenience of going oh 
we ended up in the masquerade tower, which makes you walk all the way across like a good chunk of the casino floor to go to the event hall. Whereas the other tower, you're basically right next to. Mm, I mean, that's that's neither here nor there because it's the walk isn't that. It's just annoying. But yeah, it the hall is massive. Again, there was almost a thousand people playing in that hall all at one time. And then they had separate halls for all of the smaller scale games and stuff. So it's by no means not big enough. Okay. So it's a, I guess it's a playing on the strip versus playing off the strip is more of like a destination issue because obviously playing on the strip when you finish to go to some restaurants and whatnot, you don't even have to drive anywhere. You can literally just walk there as crazy as it sounds after playing games. What's well, I was going to ask you, I know the Rio's not on the strip, but I remember last time I was in Vegas, I saw, oh, there it is. I was like, it's not like it's in Henderson, you know, it's still in Vegas. It's still, I felt like it was still walking distance to the strip. So. <laughs> yeah. The, Walking distance might be a stretch because you have to cross the freeway to get there while you're walking on Flamingo, which puts you smack dab in the middle of the strip. But I mean, it is what it is. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna knock it because of the fact that I did all my prep work for finding where I want to eat beforehand. Right. So there's a lot of folks, yeah, I was was listening to other uh, podcasts as well, and I noticed the whole destination you know you hit up a key point and for the longest time you know we've been kind of you know the way to elevate your event is make it a destination and this is something where you know a lot of people it's vegas baby and uh responsible people like yourself actually slept while other people spent the night you know out of the out and about and um it's not how to say this it's not reserved just for warhammer fans uh, <laughs> I was surprised when I heard other people from a, a non-Warhammer event that I attended in Vegas, how late they were out partying. And I'm going like, okay, we're, I guess you're adults. Never mind. Yeah, and it's it's definitely something that it's, okay, we're in Vegas. Why not go and party because of the fact that we don't do it very often? And then you realize you have to be up at like 7.30 a.m. to make sure you shower, brush your teeth, maybe get a snack, and make it to the event hall for paint judging. Plus, also, um, fatigue is another key thing. We'll, we'll get into the finals and all that. But I would definitely say fatigue was definitely a factor in the finals. And when we talked about earlier, the, the first round buys, would they be a big enough uh, incentive? In your mind, are they still an incentive? And how much was the fatigue a factor this week? For me personally, it was. it didn't really show up until my my round five because i went from all right cool i'm i'm two and one on day one i my fourth yeah my my fourth round opponent um all right no so fourth round was the flamers and t-suns so i lost round one round one uh won my round two three and four so after round four was when i started experiencing the actual fatigue of just ow my head hurts my feet hurt I didn't even stay up late. Ow. Okay. So may not be that big of a factor. Anyways, it's very interesting to hear about it. So from other, from another perspectives there. Okay. Yeah. I, I can definitely imagine though, for anyone that played like oh, they arrive Thursday, they stay out a while. They show up super early to go play on day one. And then they stay out late again to play on day two that's where fatigue could be an issue because then you're at that point sleeping for only maybe like 10 hours 
over two days to, to yeah to not balance out the the alcohol right. or other partying that you've had are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them if either of these is true contact white crow studios and get your models painted by a college trained professional painter you can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from reddukegames.com. And it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time. And we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table. Because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play in So if you're looking for fanciful drinks go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the Mad Men at RedDukeGames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom Nom. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament and just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out they're sturdy the boxes help protect your models and if you when you order they come fast the order is right and for a better price than the other guy so go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Extermination Podcast. So, um, going over the t- games that you had, what terrain uh, did you have? What, which... um, I was on the Orc Table twice. I was on the Gothic Table at least once. And... Yeah, my... Then there was one game where I was on like the Old Champs Table where it had like a... Th- a pair of um, mountains that you couldn't land on. And that one, I just got, I got raffle stomped by orcs. I lost so bad, oh. <laughs> but um, he was a great guy though. I'm not mad about it. The, so yeah, I think those were the tables that I had. And I had to say my favorite terrain was actually the, the chaos theme table. Mm. Cause it, it, it didn't feel like the terrain was too bulky and it didn't feel like something was uneven. It was, okay, the only thing that made this table uneven is how we deployed our turn. The orc table obviously had the thing in the middle, which would have won my fourth round opponent the game if he had remembered about the mission bonus primary, but that's... So, yeah, no, the terrain was was effective, and it it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like playing on barely cut foam L's and Tonka trucks for for terrain. And rightfully so. I mean, they've they've always been a, you know, they had... They're promoting their product. It looks and it's it's been a, a, it's a when it first rolled out. It was like wow, this is amazing. 
But um, as time has progressed, I know the Necron table, the industrial table, you know, draws some strong criticism in terms of, wow, this is really mm-hmm. out of date. You know, and, and, um, I got, yeah, ruffles down. I had to play a night player on a, on a Necron table. And I was like, oh, okay, this, this sucks. Yeah. The one other set of terrain that I got to play on in the Sunday RTT, which I lost round one, so I was out of it, but I played our friend Don in round two just for funsies Mm -hmm. and we played on a brand new a brand new set of terrain ah yes which was on stream yes it was the sisters terrain i believe yeah that was pretty amazing that that looked that's pretty sharp stuff yeah it both sides so it is 10 pieces of terrain and both sides have a gigantic windowless cathedral that I could, if if my desecrator didn't have a tail and wing, I could literally pick up his entire base and make him stand inside the. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And even the uh, cargo crates have a, you know, kind of a, a Deptosaurus theme to them and stuff. It was that was really nice. I, was, I thought that looked really good. What I liked better was the functionality of those crates. Those crates can lock together. Ah, there we go. Now that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's one thing I was listening to a lot of is that the this is probably going to be dovetailed into a future episode of Things We Want for the new edition is some ways of having more control of who goes first and who deploys first rather than a roll-off because there are definitely some tables that they still have there that probably should be retired that just don't really fit with the current game at all. And then just hearing some of these pretty high-level players um, having concerns that if I get on that table, I, I may not have a choice. I may not have an opportunity to win or come back from this. Yeah, it's sometimes it is a feel-bad when you have to re-explain to your opponent that if you win the roll-off and you choose to be a defender and you're going into a table that has a big centerpiece like the orc table or the gothic ruins if you have the big building in the middle their first terrain drop is shoving that centerpiece off of the object and that can sometimes feel really bad i had one opponent even admit it's like oh if i had known that you were going to put down the first piece of terrain i would have chosen to be attacker it's like sorry uh-huh read your rule back so that's just wish there was a way you could influence that die roll a little bit more even to, you know, certain resources, sure, I'll do it. Seize the initiative? What? Not so much seize the initiative. <laughs> um, that wasn't that But they, like, I know, I believe it's Star Wars Legion has this system where you basically, you have the th- uh, you put, like, bids. Like, you have so many yeah. resources. So I want to put all my basket. I have to be defender or I have to be attacker so I can set up terrain the way I want it. And I can live if I have the terrain set up the way I want it, especially with player place terrain or player optimized terrain, I can survive losing the die roll to go first. So by sacrificing that, I by sacrificing a higher even chance at initiative, I will get an advantage in being my choice of placing terrain first. Yeah. So but it was it is a nice to see that they're at least trying to create new versions of terrain that help us play how we played at LVO with the first floor line of sight blocking on very specific buildings. And then the other buildings actually have windows. So it's a easy dis- an easy dissertation of this this window you can't see through the bottom floor. This building you can. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Interesting enough, looking at, as I said, I was back home watching on stream, both the uh, FLG stream as well as... Uh, Joe from Wargames Live um, saw a tremendous uptick in viewership. Um, 
both games uh, that they were televising simultaneously had roughly 1,500 uh, viewers at the same time. So that's 3,000 viewers throughout the uh, tournament. Normally, they don't spike until the final round. So it was really nice to see that more consistent viewers at a higher clip throughout the event. I know there was one point that was really funny where in the Sunday RTT, our our friend Mark Whitaker did one of his classic Blood for the Blood Gods. And <laughs> on one of the streams somewhere, there was comments somewhere of like, was that was that a Blood for the Blood God? What? <laughs> I did see that. That was like, I know that Blood for the Blood God. <laughs> I mean, when you have a pod of the Sunday RTT made up of five World Leaders players, it's going to happen. So yeah, otherwise... I mean, I'm going to be going to LVO next year as soon as the tickets go up for sale, because why not? Yeah, no, it's definitely still a great event. Great. I mean, this, uh, it's still with that many people there. It's just a great way to get to touch with the folks that you may not have seen for quite some time. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good time. So. so now I want to get to the juicy bit of stuff that you have hidden from me, sir. So we are going to talk about. Okay, let's so. talk about our top. So, yes. Yeah, so um, in previous years, We've been remarkably accurate in picking the top eight. Uh, this was not our year. <laughs> and before you go to say, well, that's because of the podcast curse. We are not alone in that. <laughs> okay. It's not an mm-hmm. exterminatus thing. So let's uh, run it down here. Um, so one of the odds on favorites from many podcasts was John Lennon. Uh, John Lennon ran into some issue. Um uh, by the name of a Harlequin player, by the name of Jared Vale. And he was able to take him out and give you an idea of the level of competition. I don't want to make it sound like these guys like fell flat on their face or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so John, his average score before round five, I was a 95 and a half. If I'm doing kind of the, the odd math, right? Yep. So Jared, Oh uh, no, um, Lucas, Trawler, my bad, not not Jared Vale, because he beat Jared Vale in round four. Yeah, because one, two, three, four. He lost to Lucas Trawler. I'm sorry. Yep. Okay. Um, and he actually lost to Orcs. Yeah. Um, that score, he still lost with a 65, which with data proves that 60 up between 60 and 70 is an average loss for normal level players. If you lose with like an 80 or something, that puts you into the higher percentage of players. So it's not unheard of to lose within the 60s. So John was uh, unfortunately didn't, uh, was unable to crack the top. Then he make it to the shadow round. Now our pick, Thomas Ogden, uh, did we put the hex on him? Uh, not really, because he ran into, uh, I hope I pronounced this right, uh, Yoko Johansson from Team Iceland in his nids list. And uh, was able to trip him up in the, I believe it was the fourth, I believe it was the fifth round. So Thomas Ogden uh, finally just missing the shadow round by losing in his uh, second game on day two. Well, it, you actually have that backwards there, Eric. He lost in round six. Six, excuse me. And it was, so I had their last round in SC5. I was like, that's not right. So that's what we Yeah, he lost against Tim Dietliffs. Oh, from Canada. There we go. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he, so his Tau lost to Harley. That's, I got a big, st- I apologize. I'm making quick notes here. So then it gets I mean, to Vic Vijay. So if you haven't heard last uh, week's episode, 
please take time to listen to it. Uh, Rob did a really good job uh, interviewing Vic Vijay, who going into LVL was the number one slot in the ITC and um, was pretty, pretty, uh, had a lot of momentum going in. And of course, it was taking advantage of Thousand Suns with Flamers of Zeech. Yep. So having been able to actually meet him in round five, I didn't play him. That would have been great to play him at that point if I lost 95 to 28, which was the ending score of my round five, by the way. If I lost that to him, I would be like, nope, nope, perfectly fine. I expected to go 90, like 100 and zero. I got 28 points on him. It's okay. <laughs> um, but he is a very nice guy. And he sadly took his bonk on the head from Alexander, from Alex Fennel in round three. Yeah. So Alex Fennel, if you, for those who don't remember, he's actually an Englishman who moved to America. So he has a unique experience of playing on two ITC teams. And uh, he is also known as Mr. Sportsmanship from several uh, LVOs ago. So a very talented player, nonetheless, and also a really great guy as well. I've had pleasure having dinner with him. So no surprise um, that the Pink Necrons were able to stunny me and pull the upset on Vic Vijay there. So Vic, I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry I missed you last week, but it's not our fault. <laughs> yeah, it it is definitely a pleasure getting to chat with someone like Vic. I would love to sit down and chat with David Gaylord at some point and pick his brain too. Because listening to Fireside, their podcast, it's very refreshing to listen to two top-level players talk almost in the same kind of way that I that we try to here at On Exterminatus. <laughs> yeah, we make we make little quippy jokes every so often, yes, but understanding that they're talking the same way we are, they just understand things a little bit deeper than we do for mechanics and tactical mechanics and tactics of this so speaking of david so david was uh, on a roll and uh as you mentioned uh going into this tournament vic was in number one david was i believe he was in the top three can't remember if he was second or third at this point and um i believe he was in fourth okay so long story short uh it was looking like this would be the showdown for the title for itc championship would be between him and jack harpster and war games live actually asked him hey could you be on stream for round four? And he kind of went, we've already deployed. Uh, thanks, mate. But I got this. I, I promise to be on the on the, on next round. Uh, yeah, he lost that round. <laughs> yeah, he lost in round five. So sorry. Uh, so Joe, I, could just, I was watching that stream and Joe was just like, he was like, had his uh, assistant like run over to <laughs> David's table and said, give me an update on the score. Don't tell me he's going to lose. Oh my God. No, we should have had him on this time. <laughs> so um, the podcast slash live stream curse continues and takes out yet another top contender. And um, yeah. So David Gaylord also misses it. So that basically leaves Jack Harpster and uh, Mike Porter, who, yeah, he still has not lost a game in this season this year it's crazy so he makes it to the shadow round uh, just another quick note because a lot of players just kind of didn't get this guy the, the respect i really feel bad for him but uh uh zach i can my hope zach apologies have a tough time pronouncing your last name but zach uh zach had actually played blood angels and had won a few events in california baxter 
Help me out here, Robert. Oh, oh, Zach Christetter. Christetter, thank you. Sorry, Zach, I couldn't get that out. Um, just missed the uh, shadow round. Uh, just missing it, and um, just really a really good round as well. So just, um, just so unfortunate. And uh, people are just like, oh wow, I guess I guess he's the real thing. Yeah, he, he's. I think he did a great job of proving that his previous GT wins were not flukes. So congratulations on a great run. Yeah, I, when I look at everyone that made it into the shadow round, it's literally a name of name. So you had uh, Jay Eggett is a, a newer name for me. I have never seen him before. Um, Evan Tomchin is also a name I don't recognize. But to play into the shadow round, that is definitely no no small feat because you're swimming in the shark with Brad Chester, Nick Navani, Mike Porter, Matt Morisol, Sean Naden, and Jack Harpster. During the Sunday RTT, I think we actually got to have like hear the game going behind us of Matt Morisoli versus Sean. Yep. And so you got Team Australia versus uh, Team USA in this particular matchup. And by the way, yeah, we're all like, Sean Naden, how did we not pick Sean Naden? He's only made <laughs> the top eight, eight of the last nine LVOs. Of, maybe this is the year he finally wins it. So how did we miss yeah, this? To be honest, it was because of the fact that Sean Naden known for playing Eldar decided to put on his big green mushroom man suit and take orcs to LVO again. It's like, okay, Sean Nane plays Eldar. Why is Sean Nane playing orcs? Eh, maybe it was a one-off. Maybe he'll go back to Eldar. And nope. The man literally stealthed his way into taking best in best orcs in ITC by going to LVO. It's like in our condolences to a teammate, Ben Jurek, who uh, just missed that. He'd been, you know, slaving away all season long. Uh, he actually went four, one and one at uh, LVO and just missed out on top orcs. So mm-hmm. a, a tremendous season there. So please uh, congratulations to you as well. But yes, it is definitely at this point, there's the podcast curse of making the top contenders lose. And then there's the Sean Naden issue of always coming in second place. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, shout around. Uh, so, both Nick Nadavati, Evan Ch- uh, Tomchin, Bradchester, and Jay Eggert uh, lose in the first round of the shadow round. Uh, Matt Morisoli was unable to stop uh, Sean Naden. Jack Harpster was able to hand Mike Porter his first loss of the 2022-23 season, leading you to the epic showdown of Jack Harpster versus Sean Naden. Obviously, these two guys know each other from Team USA. The game was available for Twitch. And if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. Because if you just hear the anecdotal version like I'm about to give you, go, ew, they stopped at round three. Why didn't they finish? What the heck happened? What the heck happened was two guys who have lists that are designed to alpha strike decided I'm going to alpha strike you. Oh yeah. I'm going to clap back at you. So it was a full, even though it only went three turns, it was a full game. Um, Mm -hmm. Sit down, relax, pop some popcorn. You're going to get close to two hours of 40 K excitement. They used up most of their clocks and there is so much uh, high level play going on. And that was those two and a half turns. Mm -hmm. But in the end of the day, what really came down to it was, uh, Sean missed a six inch charge with a reroll because uh, Jack actually had exposed one of his sanguinary guard units. And if, if those uh, knobs had gotten into him, very different game. But uh, yeah, 
Uh, so the counterattack was the Sanguinary Guard were able to move forward. They actually um, pressured a couple of the trucks that had filled with Mega Knobs, so they had to risk an emergency dis- disembarkation, um, which then put Sean well out of position. But some really clever screening with um, the Gretchen and just well-timing when to strike with the Death Company and the Sanguinary and when to hold back. It was it was an amazing game. Yeah, it's a shame that I was in the middle of driving home during that game. I think I was halfway through, like halfway through, or just outside of WikiUp when I learned of the score. And yeah, I legitimately felt bad for Naden because again, he came in second place <laughs> again. So, but he he also brought up quite a bit. I mean, both those guys. This was their tenth and or eleventh game of the, uh, the weekend. Fatigue definitely came into play. You know, they kind of said, yeah, they're probably, as he's going, I should have done this, should have done that. And you're like, oh, you know, just coming up with this was, it was tough to to see that it was come that close and then miss it one more time. So Jack Harpster is not only your LVO champion, but uh, as determined once Mike Porter was uh, knocked off, became your also ITC champion for the year. So definitely congratulations to Jack Harpster for being able to cinch that it's like we said the the itc champion race is super tight almost anyone could have taken it if they performed super well at lvo and that was proven by i think harpster was like he was like eighth place or something he's definitely below top five i forgot what he was but yeah it was mm-hmm. it was down there. Um, I maybe maybe I don't, I'll check that. Yeah, because Thomas oh, yeah. Ogden was fourth. Yeah, because it was uh, Vic, David Gaylard, then I think Thomas Ogden, then um, uh, Mike Porter, and then I think after that was all the Americans. After that, yeah. So it was a clash of titans in the top of LVO, which is expected to happen, and Jack Harpster just came out on top. So. And uh, there's some great interviews of him uh, already circulating around. Give a chance to listen to those. Interesting to hear what his plans are. And I think the very first thing he he, he did admit was uh, that his list that he won LVO with uh, does not translate well into Arcs of Omen. So definitely uh, we're in for a new season, uh, which technically started two weeks ago. So we'll be uh, ready to dive into that with a little bit. Yeah, the... That was definitely something that um, was talked about at LVO. People wanted to play ARCs. People wanted to play the new thing, but can't have all your apples. Yeah. And it's been an interesting debate. I get both, you know, rebuilding an army on short notice, you know, relearning new rules. Um, Could they have announced ARCs at LVO instead? Then you lose two weeks of sales. That's a new thing. Well, what's, what's two weeks? Well, it's only a 26 week product. So that's 10% of uh, lost sales. That's quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not sure what the right answer is at that point. I really don't. I, I get it. Um, there's a lot of fervor going back and forth. And, you know, it's at this point, it's done. Just relax. Um, looking forward, though, did you have a chance to see the MetaWatch video? <laughs> that Games Workshop put out this week? No, I have not yet. Okay. We may table that then for a future episode because that is a very interesting language. If you, the listener, have not seen it yet, it is available on the Warhammer community site. Definitely worth listening to. And I just, this wording and tone 
were very interesting on how it was presented. So it definitely sets a tone. We'll, we'll continue that with our discussion on the future with Arcs of Oban in our next episode. So let's just put a uh, bow here on this week with LVO. A couple of shout outs to some local heroes. Uh, uh, Donovan Salvo coming in 25th place from our rivals uh, at Making Saves. And our teammate, uh, Dan Olivas, coming in 37th place. Also, both of them going 5-1. and one. Dan also was on stream, so you can actually see him playing Nick Donavati with his demons. And a really hard-fought battle. I actually watched it and um, haven't had a chance to reach out to Dan and ask him, say, hey, what would you do differently? Because I honestly have a tough time finding what I would have done differently in that game. Yeah. I know I've said it before, but every single time i go to a large event i want to be on stream just so that way i can get the on stream jitters out of the way but that's just me no i i'm with you that's definitely one of my goals that's why i don't use any third-party models um in my list that's one reason why i'm really working on you know the paint scheme and getting to where it needs to be love to be on stream but uh, it's interesting uh steve joel on his uh podcast talked to uh joe from more games live and Joe was very quick to point out it is in the back of the mind of a lot of players and it does trip a couple of players up. And, um, and I did that one stream game for our local team and it definitely, you know, you, you, it, it was a factor. So, I mean, I don't know if I really want that to happen at LVO, but, uh, get a few practice stream games and eventually be on stream. But, um, yeah. The, and then this is for our, our good friend, Mark Whitaker. The band, the myth, the legend got his blood for the blood god heard. I believe it was on the tabletop live, the Wargamers live stream. Greatest achievement ever. <laughs> he's had a banner week. Not only was he uh, his blood for the blood god chant make it on to the stream, even though he wasn't on the stream table. That's how loud he was. But he also got mentioned in the, the most recent Goonhammer review. They have their uh, review of the new World Eaters Codex, and they mentioned him by name as well. So... Uh, it's been a good week for Mark. Yep. So, and I did say this before going to LVO. I I'm holding myself to my promise that by the end of February, I will try to have my first recorded battle report for the Exterminatus YouTube channel to be slotted up there. It's not going to be pretty, but it's going to be there. <laughs> we all start somewhere. Speaking of not pretty, just want another quick shout out. Last of the the night here, uh, John Josh Staley, we salute you. Owen six, yes, you are the wooden spoon recipient for LVO. Out of a thousand players, yes, sir, you did come in last. <laughs> Congratulations. That's. I'm actually curious what he brought because uh, coughs. <laughs> but this man, the myth. Like he brought a gargantuan squiggeth. He has won my heart because it's a giant squig. It's a giant squig. I mean, it can carry like 30 boys. It's crazy. It is an effective transport. So there you go. So there you go. Lots of going on at LVO. A lot more to look forward to. There's plenty of season left between now and uh, June 1st when we expect to see uh, whatever comes in after Oaks of Ar- oh, oh, Arcs of Omen. I have a tough time with Omen of Arcs. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say Armin of Oats. That too. <laughs> it's the oatmeal oatmeal edition. There we go. So, but uh, a really great. So, Robert, obviously you're going back next year. Uh, looking forward to it. I will hopefully my work schedule and uh, personal schedule will allow to get back again. I definitely enjoyed my previous LVOs. So, be curious to see what happens. 
and I'll also be in uh, some semblance of contention for uh, best infection. So here's to hoping, because I'm going to be transporting knights. So if I get best infection in them, I'm going to be like, whoo! Yeah, no kidding. Anything else to add before we wrap things up? Nope, just kerfluffle. Excellent. All right, so thank you again for listening. My name's Eric. I'm Robert. And thanks for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. Yeah.